they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the Gospel of Mark. Thanks, Rowan. As I said, we're on our final Sunday of our prayer series. And uh, today we're looking at what do we do with unanswered prayer. Before I jump into it, uh, I promised that I would let you know a couple of the resources that I've been using. And I forgot one of them. (laughs) Uh, It's Tim Keller's book on prayer. And I would hold it up. uh, Just pretend I'm holding it up. Uh, It's not a quick read. It is quite a chunky uh, book. And it's quite dense in places. I found I can only read a couple of pages at a time. I will bring it next week to show you um, before putting it down and chewing over it a bit. Uh, But it's a great resource and I'd recommend it for anyone who wants to really dig deeper into prayer. And the other one that I have drawn a lot from today and is perhaps the most helpful book um, around unanswered prayer is this one here, God on Mute by Pete Gregg. He's founder of the Worldwide 24-7 Prayer Movement. Um, for those of you who are on the Lectio 365 app, he's often the one who says, you know, kind of puts you to sleep at night. Uh, he's one of the key people behind that work. Um, and it's a much re- easier read uh, in terms of style of writing, but it's very punchy and challenging still. Uh, and I thoroughly recommend it for anyone, actually, uh, to read. And today I'm, I will mention a couple of reasons why God might not answer our prayers. But this talk is not primarily on why God doesn't answer our prayer. A couple of reasons. Firstly, we don't actually know often why God doesn't answer our prayers, um, even the most painful ones. Uh, But also, it's actually not the most important thing for us as Christians. As postmodern people, we always want to know why. We always want an answer or a reason for everything. We want to know the why behind the what. But Scripture doesn't actually hold such a high view on the whys of many things. Unlike us humans, scripture is more concerned with how we are to relate to God and to one another in the midst of everything that is this life. God did answer Job, but he never answered Job's prayers about why he endured what he did. God spoke with Job about things far more important, showing that the why was not the most important thing. The most important thing for us as the people of God is to consider what do we do with unanswered prayer? How do we live faithfully in these difficult seasons, sometimes the very dark night of the soul seasons? We need to know how to live in the light of unanswered prayer and how to have faith in the real struggle of that. So that's where we're going today. It's absolutely fine to ask God these questions, to ask why aren't our prayers been answered. Um, 
And of course, Jesus did that on the cross. He asked God why. We just need to be able to accept that we sometimes don't get that answer. We don't know why. And we just need to not throw a tantrum and walk away from God when we don't get the why. Having said all that, this book does do a brilliant job of addressing this question. Pete Gregg gives us 15 different reasons why your pre-night might not be answered. It's not exhaustive, but it's a good place to start. Just a quick high view recap of where we've been in this series. We've looked at why we pray as an invitation to join that dance with God. As a prayer as a relationship, like Ronnie said, prayer is a connection and a communion with the one who made us. We spent three weeks looking at how we pray, living in a state of prayer versus set aside, dedicated, uninterrupted, scheduled prayer. And we've most importantly looked at Jesus, looking at how he did it and how he told us to do it. Mickey and Malcolm did some really helpful sessions on that. And this brings us to this week. And as as I launch into this, um, once I've told you what it's not and, and where we're going, I also feel I need to acknowledge the fact that there are people in this room who have suffered a great deal more than me in this life so far in terms of unanswered prayer and, and pain because of it. Uh, I've never lost a child. I've never lost a spouse or a parent. I haven't lost my business or my livelihood. I have certainly experienced the pain of unanswered prayer in other ways, but I don't come to this topic pretending to be an expert. I actually feel deeply inadequate to talk about it. Uh, So there won't be many personal stories from my life today, but I'm drawing deeply on um, uh, Pete's book, and of course, as we should always draw most heavily from scripture. So let's just bow our heads as we ask the Lord for help. Father, we thank you that you do care so deeply for us. And you do care about our prayers, and you do care about how we feel about unanswered prayers. So today, as we explore this theme, would you touch our hearts in the way that only you can? Holy Spirit, lift our spirits and help us to see where you are, even if we can't see the why behind the what. And help me, Lord, to speak the words that you've given me and breathe your life into them so that we become more like you. Amen. If you can turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 22, and if you're using the Church Bible, it's page 472. And I invite you to keep it open. Uh, I will be referring mostly to the Psalm today, uh, as, but as I read it now, um, feel free to either follow along or close your eyes and feel it as I read it. Notice the movement of the Psalm, the emotions and the feelings and the bits that you might identify. It's not super long, but it's not super short either. So um, just uh, let's enter into the psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. 
You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no one to help me. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat at me. They divide my clothes amongst them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion, save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Unanswered prayer is one of the biggest reasons, I think, why people don't pray anymore. Why some leave the faith. And one of the biggest things we struggle with as Christians. As I said a few weeks ago, Jesus makes some very straight-up promises about God giving to those who pray. In John 14, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will even do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Ask whatever you wish, and I will do these in my name. John 15:7. if you remain in me and my works remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you, for you. John 15, 16, Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Twice in this verse, John 16, 23, 24. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. That's five times in two chapters of John's Gospel. And I've just picked one Gospel. We've all heard these verses, or most of us have heard these verses before. And yet many of us have asked in Jesus' name. And we have not been given what we asked for. We have prayed, mustering up as much faith as we can. And instead we can be disappointed. In Jesus' name isn't a magic, magic incantation to tack onto our prayers, like an open sesame. Uh, in Jesus' name means to pray in line with the will of God. 
And it's not the prayers that may not be in the will of God that we struggle with when it comes to being unanswered. My prayer for a beach house or to be gifted a luxurious holiday in Paris or for a Tesla for Graham aren't exactly in line with the way Jesus lived. As John Knight Comer quips, Jesus was more of a homeless and a bicycle kind of guy. <laughs> but what causes us the spiritual angst are the prayers that we pray that are in line with Jesus' kingdom. In his name, praying for suffering to be relieved, praying for that person to come to faith, pray for a church to grow and flourish, prayer for our government leaders to come to faith, pray for that child to be healed, pray for that couple to conceive, pray for that friend with a drug addiction. It's very natural to ask, why do so many of our prayers go unanswered? Why is the promise of Jesus so different sometimes to our lived reality? The struggle and the wrestle is real and there is deep pain around prayer and unanswered prayer. And unfortunately, many Christians in the face of unanswered prayer or the disappointment around prayer do what is not helpful to their spiritual health. They do the worst thing possible, which is they stop praying. They decided, oh, prayer doesn't work. They start to believe God is a distant God who actually doesn't care and who makes empty promises. They stop going to church. They decide life is better without God, and they walk away from God. But today, as we look at what we should do, we look at what Jesus did. But Jesus was perfect. Jesus was God. What would he know about unanswered prayer, you might ask? Jesus did know a lot about unanswered prayer. Jesus not only taught us how to pray, as we've looked at in the last few weeks, but as we see in Scripture, he actually lives it out. He lives out perfectly what to do in the wrestle of unanswered prayer and in the midst of the dark night of the soul. The disappointment of a no to prayer. He experienced to the greatest degree ever the pain and suffering of unanswered prayer. And on the cross, Jesus hung dying, a perfect man, a perfect God, in humility, the king of the universe, creator of the cosmos, became a mortal man, allowing himself to be killed for our salvation, to take the punishment of our sin, which actually, sometimes when you think of it, just seems so absurd to our human minds. But this is the gospel. This is true. And as Jesus hung dying, he experienced unanswered prayer. In one of the most extreme physical conditions, after being mocked, misunderstood, tortured, beaten almost to death, and then hanging, suffocating, parched and broken. He cries out to his God, his Father, these lines that we have just read of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In some translations, it's why have you abandoned me? Although we've only got recorded in the Gospels of Jesus quoting those first two lines of Psalm 22, scholars agree that he was referring to the whole psalm as his prayer. Verse 2, he says, it says, My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. He hears nothing. In Jesus' greatest hour of need, the time when he needs comfort, as he fulfills the will of the Father and endures not only physical pain, but the most tremendous spiritual pain, he suffers in silence. Jesus knows about the pain of unanswered prayer. And in Pete Gregg's book, he writes about his wife who suffered from a brain tumour and debilitating epilepsy post-surgery. He writes that the relentless battle with the epilepsy over the last six years at the time of writing had been more taxing and traumatising than the initial brain tumour diagnosis. 
And that's what drove him to address the painful reality of unanswered prayer and write the book. He asked, why doesn't God heal her? What's the, if the problem is unbelief, is it a matter of spiritual warfare? Is it simply the fall? Why doesn't Jesus do what he did 2,000 years ago? Is it his will for his wife to suffer? Why would he do such a thing? It's not like another assault on his wife's body was going to further world peace or even deepen his faith in a way that the previous 10 seizures had not. Pete Gregg, the initiator of a global prayer moment, movement, is struggling with the same question. Why doesn't God just heal her? And in the midst of his anguish, he realises that God can and does identify with his pain. I'm just going to quickly read you one excerpt from his book. One night as I sat slumped on the sofa, trying to come to terms with the effects of yet another seizure, God seemed to whisper five words in my ear. I know how you feel. Whether or not I had imagined the voice, it had an immediate impact on me. I replied angrily out loud, No, you don't! I was in no mood to be patronised. How can you pretend to know how I feel? If you knew how this felt, you'd stop these seizures. Tears were scalding my cheeks. When did you ever see the face you love more than any other, contorted monically, blue and gasping for air? When did you ever have to sit there whispering the stupidest prayers that were ever prayed, feeling totally and utterly helpless? God, I don't think you have any idea how it feels to be one flesh with someone and to watch that person spasm and writhe as if their bones were breaking. When did you ever experience all that? Silence. Brushing away the tears, my gaze settled on a familiar postcard on the shelf above the fireplace, just a little to the left beneath the mirror. It was Salvador Dali's depiction of the crucifixion, Christ of St. John of the Cross. God knew where I was looking because he waited a moment before whispering just five more words. That's how I felt then. God sees your pain. He sees your disappointment. He understands personally and he cares. He does hear your prayer. He is a God of compassion who weeps with us in our pain and our loss and our frustrations and our struggle with unanswered prayer. Jesus weeps when he sees Lazarus' sister weeping at the tomb. He doesn't answer their prayer straight away, but first he weeps with them out of compassion. And this is deeply comforting for us. We don't serve, as Ronnie said, a distant, un uncaring God, but one who experienced the greatest unanswered prayer for all time, so that we could be answered, as we will see in the most ultimate way. So this deeply personal, compassionate Jesus went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane and he hung on the cross. And as he did, he showed us five things that we can learn from and do ourselves. Firstly, we need to lament. Jesus lamented. He lamented on the cross. The Psalm of Lament from David that we read earlier. The prophets and the great leaders of the Bible never had any problem holding back how they felt with their lament. Job and Jeremiah cursed the day they were born in their lament. The whole nation of Israel lamented regularly. Lament is an important and a vital response to the pain of life, but also the pain of unanswered prayer. How long, O oh Lord, will you answer me? And before we get to the cross, Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane Gethsemane, and the most anguished prayer of lament, so anguished and brutally honest in his fear that the capillaries in his skin burst and he sweats drops of blood. 
It's okay to ask God why. It's okay to lament our unanswered prayers. Far better to do this than to stop praying. It's actually a sign of spiritual maturity. And as Greg writes, lamenting is more a technique for venting emotion. It's more than a technique for venting emotion. It's one of the fruits of a deepening spiritual life that has learned to stand naked before God without shame or pretense. In fact, Jesus himself pronounced those who mourn will be blessed. Walter Brueggemann. Implicit in that statement about Jesus pronouncing those who mourn will be blessed is that those who do not mourn will not be comforted and those who do not face the endings will not receive beginnings. It's in fact so dangerous not to lament. It leads to death of relationship with God, as I said before. Dorothy Soleil, don't know if that's how you pronounce your last name, puts it like this. If people cannot speak about their affliction, they will be destroyed by it or swallowed up by apathy. Without the capacity to communicate with others, there can be no change. To become speechless is to be totally without any relationship. And that is death. Yet we don't often do it. Only 2% of Christian songs apparently are songs of lament. When Graham looked up on the CCLA licensing website where we download our music, there was not even a category for lament. We tend to bottle it up. We stop praying. We walk away only. We walk away from God. If the Psalms are over 50% lament, and if Jesus, the one most qualified person in the world to complain, can lament and cry out with naked prayers, then we should too. We might make a bit of space for this later to actually start to lament. And if you can't find the words, I'd highly recommend you start by praying through the lament Psalms and use Psalm 22. They'll give you voice to your emotions or words for your emotions. Secondly, we need to relinquish control. In that wrestle on the Garden of Gethsemane, I don't know why I can't say that word today, Jesus prays, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus asked if there was any other way, but he submitted his will to his Father. In the face of the greatest no there has ever been in prayer, Jesus relinquished control. This is a powerful prayer and yet perhaps the most painful. It is the crucifixion of our own human will for the sake of God's will to be done. This is the part of the Christian life that separates out the true followers of God. This is the whole sermon in itself, which I'm not going to go there today. But basically, we cannot just acknowledge the Lordship of Christ and proclaim he is the Messiah and embrace his glory. We also have to embrace his suffering. We have to allow our flesh to die so that the Spirit can live in us. We cannot have two masters. We must pray this daily, yet not my will be done, but yours. And this is really hard. Experiencing the pain of unanswered prayer is actually an invitation to join the life of God. The Father, Son and Spirit are in complete submission to the other, as we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. And so as we submit to the will of God, we're actually joining in, in that perfect community, living as they do, as we are called to do. I was talking with Graham about this the other night, and he reflected that if we refuse to submit to the will of God, to submit our wills, we refuse the answer he gives, or to throw a tantrum because we haven't heard from him the way we want to, we, and this is his words, we have essentially withdrawn from the life of God because we haven't gotten our own way. This is not easy. Take heart if you, take heart if you are 
finding this hard because you're not alone. Jesus showed as he sweated blood, but it was very necessary. And Pete Gregg shows a story about a friend who was a keynote speaker at a big conference, a big Christian conference, so he was very spiritually, you know, up there. And just before he got on stage, he received the news that his daughter and unborn baby were in grave danger after a pregnancy embolism. There was an emergency caesarean and both were suffering oxygen deprivation. Both were in induced comas and they had no idea of the outcome. 89% both would uh, die. In those days that followed, he went out to wrestle with God, praying with the inspiration of Corrie Ten Boone. And when Corrie was dying, she prayed that God would do whatever would bring the most glory to his name. She told him that if it would bring him glory, more glory to heal her, then she would continue in her ministry. Then yes, she wanted to be healed. But she also told God if it would bring him greater glory if she died and went to be with him, then she would surrender to that eventuality too. So this friend of Pete's eventually got to that place where as painful as it was, he could pray that same prayer for his daughter and grandson. And he released them fully into the Lord's care. Spoiler alert, they were both healed. It was an absolute miracle. But that's the mark of a real mature person of faith. And I pray I get to that one day. Thirdly, we need to keep the faith. In the movement of this prayer of Psalm 22, we see that despite the pain and anguish of feeling abandoned, unanswered, there is a turn in the psalm, I wonder if you noticed it, to declare the faith, a belief in the holy and faithfulness of God. Verse 4, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. They trusted and you delivered. They cried out and were saved. The lament moves back to complaint, petition, and then back to declaring the lordship and supremacy of God. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. In the face of unanswered prayer, or prayers where we don't like the outcome, we have a choice to still praise the Lord. To continue to believe that despite our immediate situation, God is still a faithful God. Who knows best and will listen to his people. And he has answered the greatest prayer that we could ever pray, which leads us to the fourth response. Remember the ultimate answer to prayer. He has done it. The psalm ends in a triumphant declaration that all the ends of the earth will know the Lord. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will declare his righteousness. He has done it. He has triumphed over death. In this life, we suffer. We live in the midst of a fallen and broken world. What God did on the cross for us means he does not owe us anything. He has made a way for us to enter into that community of God, relationship with him, which is the most satisfying, the biggest answer to any prayer we could ever have. As Mickey said last week, in praying the Lord's Prayer, it helps us to shift our focus from the pain of this life to the eternal reality of hope and life with God. And it's in doing that that it gives us strength for whatever it is we're praying about here and now. It's only through that that can get us through the now but not yet. The reality that although God has won the victory, we still live under the curse of the fall here. In Pete's book, one of the reasons for unanswered prayer is that life is tough. 
He says some prayers aren't answered because creation is subject to frustration and has not yet been fully liberated from its bondage to decay, Romans 8.20. Tragically, life in such an environment is inevitably going to be acutely difficult at times. If you think about it, the Bible has spoken to people for 2,000 years, over 2,000 years, but we've only had the standard of life that we currently have for a very short time. Electricity, anaesthetics, antibiotics, these have only been around for a blip in the timeline of history. Life has never been easier. For those of us who were born in the last 50 years, we've actually had it very easy up until a few years ago. No world wars, no financial depression, and as John Mark Comer points out, this has bred a very soft couple of generations who fall to pieces the moment life begins to get hard. We throw a tantrum with God when we face suffering. We get hurt and offended so easily by God and by other people. We throw the baby out with the bathwater when we don't get our own way, when life gets tough. Yet Jesus said life would never be easy. He never said life would be easy. He said to expect suffering. We must expect to share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And as I close this point in Lena's message, let me give you one final story from Pete's book. A friend of his dying with esophagus cancer kept having people to visit and expressed their great sadness for her predicament, the tough life she had and all that. She actually wrote how her response on a scrap of paper once she couldn't talk anymore, what she gave to everyone, and it read this. This is not the worst thing to ever happen. Cancer is so limited. It cannot cripple love, shatter hope, corrode faith, eat away peace, destroy confidence, kill friendship, shut out memories, Silence, control, uh, silence courage, quench the spirit or lessen the power of Jesus. Amen. Her life and her death bore eloquent witness to the power of prayer for those who believe. Nikki Gumbel writes, if you're at a low point, remember that suffering does not have the last word. Jesus, the resurrection and the victory of God have the last word. So let's keep trusting him. So the last thing to say is to keep praying. That's it, keep praying. Engage in lament, relinquish control and submit to the Lord. Hold on to your faith, do not let it go. Remember and draw strength from the knowledge of what God has done for you as you meditate on the prayer on the cross and keep praying. That's the last thing Jesus modeled. The last thing he did as he hung dying on the cross in the face of the biggest rejection, actual abandonment, and the biggest no to an answer to a prayer petition, the pain of the most significant unanswered prayer, he continued to pray to his father. His last words, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Keep facing the Lord in your disappointment. He is with you, even if you don't feel it.